recording in progress. Get all your sneezes out now. Um, hi, everybody uh, that is listening to this and everybody that is in the Zoom right now. My name is Jason Norman, and I am a Program and Events Coordinator for the Writers Guild of Alberta. And it is July 26, 2023. And um, we were going to have a, an event outside today where writers were going to share their work out where the birds were singing and the river was nearby. And it's just way too cold and rainy. So we decided to put the kibosh on that. And, um, but I asked the writers if they would join me for a Zoom and uh, we could record it and put it out into the world shortly. So um, I thank them all for joining me today. Um, and we're gonna get started. So just before we get started, I wanted to acknowledge that um, we're doing this event on Treaty 6 territory, um, home of many indigenous uh, people for, um, and uh, I think we are good to go. So I'm going to introduce my first reader. And actually, I'll tell, I'll say it who everybody's here, and then I'll introduce the first reader. So we have Catherine Abbas, Megan Aker, and Colby Claire Stolson reading today. And our first reader is Catherine. And I'm going to find your bio that you sent me. Okay. Catherine Abbas, uh, Catherine Abbas is a multi-genre author and educator of Lebanese descent. Born in Montreal and raised in Beaumont, Beaumont, Alberta, she has been writing and teaching in various capacities for nearly a decade. Catherine's fiction has been nominated for both an Alberta Literary Award in 2022 and an Alberta Magazine Award in 2016. In 2021, she won Riddle Fence Magazine's Fiction Contest and was shortlisted for Room Magazine's Creative Nonfiction Contest in 2020. Her writing has also appeared in literary magazines such as the Malahat Review, Funicular Yoke, the Antigonish Review, and Untethered, among others. Hi, Catherine. Hiya. Um, so it's raining today. Do you like it when it's raining? I love it when it's raining. <laughs> what do you like to do when it's raining? Um, I do like to walk my dog in the rain. I know a lot of dogs aren't fans of the rain, but mine is like never faced by it so I like to go for long walks in the rain and it's just water right so like what's the big deal if you say so uh I'll take your word for it <laughs> um so your dog he's like a mutter he likes to just like you don't worry you, do you have to like do a full clean when you get back or what I mean he's like I don't know I dry him off he's probably dirtier than he should be like 90 percent of the time but I like you just, I just can't keep up with it so he doesn't mind and neither do I <laughs> <laughs> that's a good attitude I like it um so you're gonna be reading uh, so you do so we in your bio it says a lot about fiction but I know you've been writing a lot of different kinds of stuff recently you've been kind of doing experimental stuff is that how you would put it yes yeah I think today I'm gonna read something a bit more like traditional but it is something that I was working on with um my mentor with Michelin Mailer uh, during the mentorship program with the WGA. So it's coming from, yeah, like a place of experimentation, even though it didn't end up very experimental in the end. <laughs> well, I will, I will uh, leave you to it and uh, take it away. Sure. Uh, this story is called Dipping. The speckled blue tile came up pretty easily no doubt loosened by its encounter with Logan's big toe the night before. 
I thought of Mel crouched over that bloody towel in the elevator and decided to make a keepsake of the culprit. When the others weren't looking, I dove down and coaxed it from its grouted nest at the bottom of the hotel pool. We were only allowed to swim on Sunday once all our games were done, but Logan had stubbed her toe on Saturday, which we all figured was just karma for having broken the rule, it being the only rule and Logan being the only one of us to break it. Coach Carson wrapped Logan's toe up in gauze and tape so he could field her for the semifinal. And after we lost, we booked it, we booked it back to the pool for a consolation swim. All of us leapt in together, trying our best not to splash Logan, who sat in her pink gingham two-piece and sulked from the deck chair, while the rest of us Marco poloed right up until the concierge booted us out for roughhousing. I shared a room with Olivia, the newest on the team but I put Logan's name down on the form. I knew Logan wouldn't write mine down on hers, but what could it hurt to try? Violet said the team had stayed at the same hotel last year and told us in advance that there'd be a kitchenette in each room. So Mel's parents sent her with pierogies to fry for supper, making her the only one at the tournament with Tupperware instead of spending money. Turned out the kitchenette didn't have any kind of stove, just a soap-stained sink, an ugly white bar fridge, and a kettle full of lime scale. Some kitchenette, Mel said, and ate her pierogies raw once they thawed. They probably tasted terrible, because she tried to share them with all of us, damp globs hanging like slugs from the end of her fork. Logan stuck her tongue out at them, her skunk-striped bangs concealing whatever disgust her forehead betrayed. Fine, Olivia eventually said, and she took the bait without even a grimace. She finished both doughy offerings in four stoic bites and didn't waste time chewing. On Saturday night, Violet's dad knocked on the door at 9.30, interrupting a game of Would You Rather, all five of us sitting cross-legged on the king bed. Coach Carson, would you rather take a bath in a cauldron of hot blood or puke a little every time you sneeze? Mel snickered, swinging her heavy pillow at Logan, who'd asked. Lights out, ladies. Come on, V. Violet stood from the bed with an eye roll, dragging her slippered feet to the door. She flicked the switch and the room went dark and they were gone. Olivia groped around for the lamp, obliterating her shin on the bed's unflinching leg. Crap, she said, because she wasn't allowed to really swear. And when she tugged the lamp's metal cord to give us light again, I saw Logan let go of Mel's hand and shift away from her on the bed. Then Logan said, let's switch to truth or dare. Olivia confessed that she didn't know what a blowjob was, that she'd never prayed the entire rosary, and that she thought Violet was too slow for midfield, before finally we convinced her to eat five ice cubes from the ice machine in the lobby. The four of us raced down the carpeted hall in our socks. At the elevator, Logan touched the tip of her finger to Mel's cheek and shocked her so bad I saw the static's blue spark. When I lifted my hand to do the same to Logan, she stumbled back a couple of steps and said, what the hell? Olivia couldn't melt the ice cubes fast enough to swallow them, so her teeth cracked down on their chill over and over until her lips were bleach blue, but she'd done it. She was breathing ice when she dared Mel to jump into the pool with her clothes on. But we can't swim until after tomorrow's game, Mel reminded her. So? I looked at Olivia, who for no reason started doing push-ups against the wall. Her fingertips pressed into the textured wallpaper, her blonde hair hanging all to one side, blinds closed on us. 
Mal wanted out of the dare, you could tell. She jokingly swung her leg out to boot Olivia in the butt, but Logan seized her calf midair and said to Olivia, we're always nice to you in truth or dare, and you always get so mean. Olivia stopped with the push-ups. Logan dropped Mal's leg and leaned back against the ice machine, vindicated. Mal slid into place beside her with a hip bump. You do it then, said Olivia, chin jutted like a knife. We all glanced toward the empty pool. The analog clock above the sauna read 10.15. Closed, but our key cards still worked on the door, and Olivia pushed it open and curled a come-here finger at Logan. Not in my clothes. That's stupid. Logan wriggled out of her tracksuit and jumped into the pool like it was a nothing dare. She bobbed around for a while in her sports bra and underwear, splashing Mel and me, snapping at Olivia's ankles, trying to haul her in. And then Logan hollered. That tile at the bottom of the pool, sticking up just enough to snatch the nail of her big toe and peel it clean off. Olivia nearly fainted when Logan pulled herself out of the water and her toe started gushing. All the towels rolled up in the wicker basket were white, but Mel grabbed one anyways and wrapped it around the toe, and I stood guard at the pool door, wishing it all to be over. Hey, said Olivia. Hey, she had to say again, because even though none of us were talking, none of us were listening either. Olivia was leaning against the glass door to the pool, still dizzy from the blood. What's in there that gotcha, she said, and I could hear the bubbles in her voice, the joke that threatened to form. What? said Mel, looking up from her homemade tourniquet. Something in the pool really gotcha, Logan. I watched it sneak up on her, the laughter. It pulled open her mouth and the words just spilled right out. What was it? she asked again, this time stepping towards Logan, who laid flat on the pool deck, eyes closed, fists pressed to sweaty forehead. What was it? A third time. I closed my eyes. I could not watch. Was it a piranha or something? Nobody laughed louder at their own jokes than Olivia. The sorry sound of that single note echoed back at us, and I watched the patient slip soundlessly out of Logan's body and slither away. You're a baby, she said, her voice a gritty whisper. It could not be heard over Olivia's knee slapping, that desperate grip she had on her stupid shtick. So Logan pried her eyes open. Shut the hell up. And Olivia did. The tile was visible even from the deep end. I looked over the lip of the pool deck and saw it poking up, a bent scale. It had taken a piece of Logan for itself, had taken a piece of her at her own cost. The next day, I'd come back and take it if only to even the score. Wordless, we piled back into the elevator. Olivia gripped my arm with both hands. I wanted to shake her off, to wring out the embarrassment, but what was the point? Logan's eyes stayed locked on Mel, who knelt at her bare feet, the wrong set of hands cupping the problem. I looked at Olivia. Her face was underbelly yellow and gleaming with sweat, her breath still ice against my cheek. Thank you. That was great. Um, it would have been a good summer story too, like outside thinking about swimming and sports and stuff. Um, excellent. Um, our next uh, next reader is Megan Aker. Megan Aker 
they them is a queer non-binary mixed Nehewa and white Amiskwachi Watskahigan based poet, registered nurse and member of the Woodland Cree First Nation and Treaty 8 territory. They are a PhD student in indigenous studies at the University of Alberta studying Nehewa uh, storytelling as a creative practice towards Mio. I don't know that word. How do I say that word, Megan? Pematsuin. Pematsuin? Yeah. A good life for queer, trans, and two-spirit indigenous youth. And I don't know that word either. How do I say that word? Kahkio no Agmaganak. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't, pre I didn't prepare that one. Um, Megan, you were very happy that we canceled in the rain, weren't you? Yeah, I love rain, but to enjoy from the inside. <laughs> From the inside while dry yes i agree what do you like to do during rainy days i usually like to have tea or i just had some oatmeal it was nice and cozy i just like that on a rainy day you don't have to be happy so then you can just be happy oh i love it uh <laughs> did you just write that down you should write that down so everybody <laughs> writes everybody write that down i like that a lot um, how many times when you were a kid did people tell you that oatmeal, did you, did you like for your parents and stuff, you tell you oatmeal sticks to your ribs? Was, yeah, I think I heard that it a few times. Sticks to your ribs. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I just will never forget that, that phrase. Um, I will let you take it away. Awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, and thanks for the introduction. I sent that very last minute, so I don't blame you for the... <laughs> Cree. Um, yeah, so I'm going to read some poems, some some new ones, some old ones. And yeah, I'm going to start with one called By Any Other Name. That is kind of um, just a reflection on things that I see going on in the city uh, that are very normalized that maybe are, deserve some more consideration. By any other name. Suck the scent of dry meat and rat root from empty pockets. Subsist on the streets of a city where the signing of treaty didn't stop strategies of starvation. Call it reconciliation. Violence by any other name cuts as deep. 1873. An infant nation births the Northwest Mounted Police, clears the land of bison and savage, makes way for the Canadian Pacific Railway. 2023, six white men in uniform surround one Indian man on an LRT platform, call it peace, officer. Still the Canadian pronunciation of occupation. Punish me, my crime is that I have been a perceptive student. Pathologize me, I do not hide my violation. Lock me in your wards, in your prisons, in your walled off places, call it care. Violence by any other name cuts as deep. Look into my eyes when you stab me. What name will you utter? This next poem is called Pascuawi Gisik, which means a prairie sky. And I like to 
I like it. I like to read it in the spring and summer when the sky is the most dynamic in the prairies. Basquawi Gisik. I am a prairie sky in spring. I cycle through weather patterns so quickly it gives you whiplash. I am vast. I am gentle, then fierce, brilliant and ominous. I am playful and menacing. Some sought to tame me and my sister, the horizon. They wanted to know me without first becoming relatives. They tried to soften my harshness and dampen my shine. They wanted me to be consistent, to be predictable. They called me villainous. They called me enemy. So I burnt their white skin until it blistered and flooded their suburban streets with tears of rage. They could have respected me. They could have appreciated my beauty. They could have loved me, but they didn't. Uh, the next poem is one that I wrote a little while after coming back from the uh, unmarked graves site event at the residential school that my Muslim pan went to in northern Alberta. And I was just thinking about the experiences of my relatives that have passed and my own experiences today and that of my friends and family members. And that was about that was last spring that I went to that event. It's called Buried Not Yet Dead. I awaken inside the grave of my own childhood, the grave of every Indian childhood that was ever buried alive in recruitment for our own destruction. I practice a multiple perception sensing at once the sweetness of the August prairie and the blood dripping over the scene from behind my unclosed lids. Surrounded by those who have learned to call their malice indifference to kill us more innocently, they stab us and let go of the hilts. Sure of our fear of bleeding out, they watch us fall in love with the daggers that plug our wounds until we are made more of metal than flesh and have no memory of what it was like to live unwounded. My cry pierces the peaceful morning, escaping before me from inside genocide, reminding me that I am not yet dead, that I have work to do. There is a spade in my hand. I am learning to use it. Okay, it gets a little bit lighter now. <laughs> um, this one's called Nochkum Tipskau Pisim, which means uh, Grandmother Moon. Actually, the next three ones are kind of just like some short, sweet ones, so I'll just read them all three in a row. Nochkum Tipskau Pisim. I scream to the moon that my body is not a fraction. She embraces me. She never made me prove I was enough before she offered her love. This one's called Small Soft Joy. I met her in class. She wore feathers of sunshine in her hair. I couldn't help but love her. The fact of her existence, a small soft joy in itself enough. 
And this one is about my cousin who I love so much, called Nia Egua Nitsakos. Me and Nitsakos, we are alchemists. We take the results of colonial systems and turn them into Wahkotuin. We take what we have been given and build love out of it. If there is any good that comes of this, it will be because of us. I was told that um, every queer poet in Edmonton has a poem about a magpie or about magpies. So this is my magpie poem. <laughs> Actually, now I have another one too. So this is one of my magpie poems. It's called What the Magpies Know. At dawn, the magpies play on the rooftops and garbage heaps of old Edmonton. And my heart breaks over all the cookums and aunties in beige stucco bungalows who awaken to begin again the work of building homes from the ashes of their children's dreams, who prepare again to celebrate small comforts bought effortfully unacknowledged. The magpies know the reason we have lives at all is their love. At dawn, my heart is a magpie on the rooftops and garbage heaps of old Edmonton. At dawn, my heart is a magpie that plays amidst, amidst our shimmering shards and styrofoam love. And I think that this will be my last poem. Um, this is a more recent one. It's called Visions of a Shattered Mind. And it's partially inspired by Audre Lorde's essay, The Transformation of Silence into Language and Action. Utopia lives in sidewalk cracks, in the heretical actions implied by our dreams, in every broken body who isn't polite enough to disappear. Utopia is glimpsed through the shards of minds shattered in the furnace of mundane brutality. Minds strewn across suburban streets, fireweed lined back alleys, and Treaty 8 truck stop bathrooms. Nisimus, we are sharp in our pain. Take care not to cut yourself, but let us not abandon ourselves in the name of safety, nor beg for the syrup of easy praise, forgetting it flows from the hand of authority's suffocating will. Utopia was planted deep within us by our Black and Indigenous mothers. This land was once free. This land can be free again and us along with her. Nisimus, never forget that to love in an unexpected direction is revolutionary. Utopia lives in the Cree man who aspires to be like his cookum, in the woman who dares leave a man simply because she wants to, in the indigenous adoptee who learns they are worthy of unconditional love, in the child who ceases to believe they are the cause of their own abuse, in the girl who finds she has a voice and decides to use it. Nisimus, do not learn to play dead so well you convince yourself it is more than a strategy. Do not mistake dormancy for death. Utopia is alive within each of us and together we flourish. Hey, hey, exe.
Thank you so much, Megan. Uh, yeah, I don't think, I, I think every single poet probably in Edmonton has a magpie, uh, a magpie piece, I mean, or is working on theirs. Uh, Colby, I hope you're working on yours now that you basically are an Edmontonian. Do you have a magpie poem? I do, and I have it printed out. I was going to read it and then decided not to, but perhaps I've been persuaded again. <laughs> well, I will introduce you, and uh, and then we'll chat for a second. Uh, Colby Claire Stolson grew up somewhere in the in-between in a town called Panoka. Every day he asks himself, who knows if the moon's a balloon? And some of those balloons have been published in Edmonton's Glass Buffalo and Funicular Magazine and in Canada's The Ottawa, Touch the Donkey and Period Cities. Period Cities? He's an active columnist for Read Alberta, a website all about Alberta books. Um, so yeah, Colby, we have, we have met virtually before, but we've never met in person. We were going to meet today for the first time if we had this event outdoors, but it's not to be. And you said to me, I guess that means we'll never meet. It's just not meant to be, Jason. Uh, do you like when there are rainy days? I love rain. Uh, what do you like about it? I like to dress in, uh, I like to dress in layers. And uh, if this were outside while it was raining, I was going to make a joke that there are two types of people the one who regretfully still wear shorts on a day like today and the ones who love to dress up in their favorite crew neck or hoodie. And I'm of the latter. I would have definitely still been in shorts if we were out in the rain. I kind of like that, that wet in look, but I would have, <laughs> or I would have, but I like, I just like that look with the, I'd have that poncho thing from, you know, whatever. But I'd still, I'd still be, I, like I say, as soon as, as soon as it's summer, like I don't put on socks or long pants until, you know, September or something, but, mm -hmm. um, so you like rainy days. What else do you like to do in the rain? What else do I, well, I mean, it's cliche, but just, just listen, you just listen. That's what you do when it's raining. Excellent. Uh, well, I've been listening, uh, to some great stuff so far and I'm excited to listen to you. So take it away. Sure. Um, I will read my magpie poem because I feel obligated to, um, but I want to start with my weirdest poem in order to shake off some nerves because I haven't read poetry out loud in a very long time. Um, so here's my weirdest poem. And it's not even that weird, kind of like what Catherine was saying, <laughs> experimental, but it ends up being not so experimental. <laughs> Behind the bookstore, in the alleyway. Look up at the buildings. No one knew where the moon was. Four milk crates matter little where the moon is concerned, toppled and empty and yellow. The moon was on her shoulder behind the bookstore where she pulled me into dance. No one knew where the moon was after that dance. She rolled it along down the way, toppled and empty and yellow and four. The way she rolled the moon was bright and square. 
And now it just gets more melancholy from here. So uh, <laughs> here's my magpie poem. A lot, a lot more violence than uh, than Megan's, unfortunately. And this is in, directly inspired by something I, I witnessed. It was horrific. Um, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna say this anecdote, but there's this Lars von Trier um, movie called Antichrist with Willem Dafoe. It's it's. I, I don't recommend it unless you like to subject yourself to uh, to gruesome film. But um, there's a scene where um, some baby birds are being fed by their mother, and uh, one baby bird falls out of the nest and is immediately overtaken by ants. And in that scene, I just realized that at one and the same time, there is beauty and terror in this, in this life. <laughs> and, uh, and so this poem is inspired by that, but it's also inspired by uh, something I, I actually saw. Um, it's called End Spring Edmonton. Yellow. And big fat drops buttress the flowers bloom and bud. For a violet boy to kiss a violet girl and for all the boughs to flex. A magpie digging its beak into the dead breast of a robin. Yellow. Sheesh. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I'll just keep reading. Up there, a snowborn goose circled a mountain. The mountain, a scaffold. Here, iron, there, rust. Several necks long tipped at its height, called so they could be heard far across the plain. The plain, a city. The wind moved through it. Tussled the hair of a heavy man at work, whose knees were bent, whose knees were knotted trunk whose knees planted a hard street and rose there a lamppost. The lamppost, a gray goose waiting. Some arrangement will thrust forth from it. Um, this next poem, the, the first um, real, quote unquote, real job I got after university was as a traveling sales rep. And I, I, I was wielding a company credit card and I was in Arlington, Texas, of all places. Um, some baseball team plays there. I forget which one. <laughs> the Astros or something. Um, I was wielding a company credit card and I went up to a high-end steakhouse and I ordered the finest cut of, <laughs> of, of steak uh, made from or not made, but sent, sent in from Chicago. And uh, I didn't grow up poor, but I was quite poor through university. Um, and so having a real job, sitting up with the, the businessmen in this steakhouse inspired this poem. The boy notices first how sharp the knives, how soft the meat, as if the knife balanced on the wrist, a gesture. How poised the one who brings food on a large plate, the strange glass slowly 
pulls water to wet the cloth with a most perfect and darkened circle. Boys so high, the sun has obscured him again, but he too will make such affect to those nearest with his fading, how he can linger. There are large men at other tables. The meals, the tables are common to them. The hardness of his bench and their Colosseum. What greets the sun on its stylish descent down, down from the realm of the famed? This, the Colosseum, all that was and is still sublime in him, so young. Now on his dish he may see the cut of marble, meat or stone. When he has found his way back to his room, Will there be sweat on his back or on his brow? What will change? His shoes will come off like a cup he has sucked to his own chin. His mouth will be dry. He will dream quiet and tiny dreams and utter one name into the bright and silent morning. And uh, another travel poem. There's a uh, national park in um, Colorado Springs. It's called Garden of the Gods. <laughs> and um, there's a placard there on one of the, I don't know, red rocks, is, I guess is what they call them. Um, they look sort of like hoodoos, except they're red. And uh, there's a placard there that, that states that it will always be free to the public. And I appreciate that. Um, the name is questionable <laughs> in our secular age. <laughs> um, it's called This is Only Colorado. I found my love at the Tower of Babel in the Garden of the Gods, who were each burned red and disrobed by the wind coming off the mountains. We dropped our mouths at their size, at their nakedness, at their bareness, at their redness. Our tongues were seized by dust. They were learned, taught to say beautiful red words, speak nakedly, to listen. So what then should make us depart? Nothing? It is perfect? Settled? Many things. Many things. This is only Colorado. Red erupts, passion can indeed be violent. Towers withstand, but we turn up our mouths, crack tongues at the sky. We cannot stay forever for long. And finally, to end on a, on a love poem or a, a sort of love poem, um, it's also a poem about losing your sense of manliness as you age. <laughs> which is clearly, I mean, I'm not aged quite yet. So it's not about me. <laughs> um, the, the title is 23 and 88. Your July wind throws my hair apart and demonstrates that I, at 23, am balding. And its red scalp speaks on my behalf to you too maltreated by the hot wind. Earthy green sundress, the invasive and fluttering wind. My eyes are in my comic book blue. 
with onion thin pages which flip themselves in the dispersive wind. Trees fall, are timbered by the cutting wind, and we wear light fabrics. Three aged men marked with knocked knees and knotted trunks of poplar resting no damage, light on the neighbor's siding, thank the dying wind, scratch their gleaming heads at their predicament, what they could do once in the memorial wind. Blazing through his rusty short box window, the 1988 and dusty acreage wind, dry wheat and manure nearly permeate the passenger, her perfume. What is good for him, good for me. Thanks. Thanks so much. Um, oh, that was excellent. That was excellent to listen to the three of you today. Um, and thank you for, for getting on this so quickly uh, when we changed course earlier today for, for the rain. So, um, and thanks to whoever invited all these people. It's nice that people came to the Zoom because I totally forgot about that part. I was just gonna record it and just worry about everything else later. So um, thanks everybody for listening. Um, the Writers Guild of Alberta podcast is available on wherever you get podcasts, I assume. And uh, if you follow or subscribe, you'll probably get a notification when um, we drop a new new episode. So um, we just call it a podcast, but it's really just a lot of it is audio recordings of, of things we've done like this. So um, it's nice and easy to do. So that's what I'll be doing soon is, is uh, releasing um, this event so people can listen to it. And um, I think that'll be fantastic. So Thanks again to Catherine and Megan and Colby. Um, and thanks everybody for listening. And um, next month, we hope to do a writer outside event again for real. Um, and uh, we should have details on that um, very soon, maybe the end of this week or early next week. Trying to try to do something special, but I don't want to get the rain gods all riled up yet. So we won't, we won't say. <laughs> We won't say what we're planning just yet, but um, very soon. So thank you again to everybody and and, uh, and have a good rest of your night. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks everyone. To Great to hear you both, Colby and Megan. You, you both too, yeah. <laughs> have a good night, everyone. Lovely. Take care, everyone. Bye.